0: Hello and welcome to Actia Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. And today we are talking about Blue Lily Lily Blue, chapters twenty six through the end by Maggie Steve, Otter, with the return of a very special guest, Jesse.
1: Everybody, thanks for having me back. We love Always. when
2: Desi comes to the pod because we all think so similarly about all of these books that we love. And we knew we could not move through the Raven cycle without having you hear it at one point. So thank you that for means coming a lot. back. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for taking more time to come on here. You're our first Three peach, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> very <laughs> exciting, and it's not the last time we're just saying no, that many now. Many more to come, I'm sure. Yeah, oh, exactly. Nice. <laughs> uh, before we dive into the back half of this great book, friends, what are we into this week? What are we obsessing over, Jesse?
1: Yeah, so sticking with the theme of this podcast, um, I recently read a YA book called *The Inheritance Games* by Jennifer Lynn Barnes, and I absolutely. Just enjoyed the heck out of it. It reminded me a lot of the Westing Game, which I read, uh-huh. which I think a lot of us read uh, growing up. Um, there are elements of Knives Out, the movie. Uh, there's even some Rebecca in there, which is a book that I read recently as well. And it's about uh, this girl Avery. She's being raised by her sister, but her sister's dating this guy she doesn't really like. So basically, she lives in her car, and she's really smart, but she and wants to get scholarship and and go to college so she can sort of escape um her present situation and she finds out that she is the sole really sole inheritor of this guy's billion dollar fortune mm. and he passed up not only his own child but his four handsome young grandsons. Oh. <laughs> um, and they and as part of the deal of inheriting all this money, Avery has to move into this giant house where there are secret passageways and clues to get places. And she's trying to figure out how, why she inherited all this money and what she's going to do with it. Meanwhile, these four grandsons are also living in this house. And some of them are interested in her. Some of them resent her. And two of them And there's sort of like a love triangle with two of them, and one Mm -hmm. drives a motorcycle and wears a leather jacket, and the other one wears a suit. And anyway, it's like, whatever. (laughs) Everything you're saying, (laughs) I
2: like. (laughs) I like everything that (laughs) you were saying.
1: It's really good, and um, there's enough of a resolution, but there's also going to be at least a sequel called The Hearthstone Legacy, which comes out um, this year. And um, I got this book from the library, but I ended up buying it because I know I'm going to want to reread it before the next book comes out.
2: That's the ultimate test of if something is good. If when you finish it from the library, you immediately buy it. I place a library hold once you told me about this, and the list is very long, so I might just steal it from you if that's okay.
1: Oh, Someone absolutely! Said. I want to sh- I want to share the wealth because it's really fun, and it's if you like scavenger hunts and clues and riddles, and also handsome men and smart I characters. Like yeah. I know. I just had to. I think I said Korean. I was like, one of the characters is wearing a suit.
2: <laughs> I love when a boy is in a suit, man. It, especially these days, it's like everyone's just in silver pants eyes all the time. Yeah, that's yeah, true. So, if silver eyes don't exist in real life, but every time there's one in a book, I'm like, yes, I'm oh, yeah. very interested in you. <laughs> I don't even know what it means. Well, I'm really interested in reading that soon, hopefully. Teja, what about you? What are you into this week? Um skip. <laughs> no, really, it I just have it.
0: not had the time for anything besides school stuff and podcast reading. So, yeah. but you know, I mean, the Raven cycle is enough for me
2: to just, you know,
0: for it to consume my life. So yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm doing it's, all right. It sustains me. So it's, yeah, yeah. I, I'm in a similar boat this week. I had a very busy week. I haven't been able to do much outside reading. Uh, But I guess a related obsession, which we kind of hinted about last week, is the audiobooks for this series, which we really, really love a lot. I have not been listening to them as I've been doing this, just because it's harder to uh, take notes as you're listening. But I did have a long car drive for work one day this week, so I listened to this section, this back half of Blue, Lily, Lily, Blue. And it's just great. And it's a great one for the audiobook, too, because Wentley on the page is kind of hard to get a hold on, but Will Patton singing all of her ridiculous songs is really fun. And as we talked about last week, her Jesse Ditley is great. Her her His Piper Green mantle is great. All of his stuff is really good. And I also realized as I was listening that since listening to those audiobooks for the first time, anytime I read anything Ronan says, it is in his voice that will pen does same yeah. which is great so that's a related obsession i guess that i have been into this week and just makes me want to read or listen to the rest of them as we go although it was very counterproductive because i just had to go back and reread it all to take notes for this, so it's fine uh but yeah that's i guess what i've been into this week too so i guess on that note let's dive in since it's all we can think about apparently <laughs> as always we'll start with a quick book summary here of what happened in these chapters blue and Gansey go on another secret car date and meet henry chang on the way back the gang goes into jesse ditley's cave and find a tomb however it's not glendower in the tomb it's his daughter glenthian they remove glenthian from the cave and bring her to fox way where she reveals that blue's father artemis played a role in burying her glenthian later reveals to blue that she is a mirror Adam and Ronan concoct a plan to frame Greenmantle so that he'll leave town and recruit Mr. Gray's help in putting the plan into motion. Adam has a court hearing with his dad and goes alone, only for Gansey and Ronan to show up at the last minute. Persephone attempts to scry to find Mora's location and dies in the process. Piper Greenmantle wants to explore Jesse Ditley's cave. Mr. Gray tries to stop her and Piper kills Jesse in the process. Colin Greenmantle ends up fleeing. The gang enters the cave and caves water in an effort to find Mora. After making it down the cave's ledge, the gang discovers a giant valley filled with the skeletons of all kinds of animals. They wake them, and Blue and Ronan are able to hop on a creature and ride it through the exit, leaving the others behind. Blue and Ronan encounter a lake, which Blue realizes is a mirror, and she is able to travel across it alone, ultimately finding her parents on the other side, trying to resist the pull of the third sleeper. She's about to leave with them when Piper and Mr. Gray come through the cave. A fight ensues, but Blue, Mora, Artemis, and Mr. Gray are able to escape. The novel ends with Piper waking up badly injured in the cave and ultimately meeting Neve. Together, they wake the third sleeper. Again, an ominous ending here for Maggie (laughs) Stiefvater. This whole book we've gotten, Don't Wake the Third Sleeper, and then fucking Neve comes back. Haven't seen her in two books. And... They wake the thing. So it's a very uh very ominous setup for the Raven King, which I feel like already has a very ominous setup because you know again, we've got all these things coming to a head now. Finally, Ganzy gonna is Gansy gonna die. What's going to happen with so many balls in the air? Yeah, I think out of all of the books, it has the most ominous ending and the most
0: intense ending that wake up is such a great final line.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and to mirror it too with that, so that's in the epilogue, and the last chapter ends with Adam saying, I'm awake. And so we have this a lot of themes of awakening here in this back half of the book, and I really like how that all works out. Uh, but I think let's go back to the beginning of this chapter section, though, and start with, I guess I'll say one of the main reasons we have Jesse come on this particular podcast is this very fire car scene with flu and Gansy. it's one of the most I guess not, yeah it is sexual I was gonna say overtly sexual it's overtly like just horny scenes in in this it is series. so horny it's so <laughs>
0: horny. like I remember the first time I read it I was just like like jaw on the floor and like not I mean obviously they barely even touch but it's like it's so fraught it's so like just snapping with energy.
2: Yeah, it's it's a lot for me <laughs> to handle. Although Jesse, I think you. So this car scene is a uh, a little different than the last one that we talked about in the Dream Thieves, because in this one, there's also Gansey teaching Blue how to drive the pig. And Jesse, you had a great point. Again, coming full circle here, since you were here on our Scorpio Races episode.
1: Yeah, I, first of all, I want to say that I am deeply honored that you bring me on to talk about uh, Sexy Boys and Hand-Touching and um, Book Boyfriends, and I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to talk about another one that I really love, uh, our gaines boy. And... <laughs> Uh, I think uh, my, the show you're you're mentioning is letting blue drive his car is sort of equal to Sean letting Puck ride core. And when we talked about Scorpio races, we talked about the character of Sean being really linked to his horse. There, it's not just his pet, it's really it's him person it's it's him in an animal. they're they're one and the same. and I think the same can be said for. Gansy and the Camaro. Like there's literally a line that says the Camaro was like Gansy tonight, terrifying and thrilling, willing to do whatever she asked. So it's really not even a metaphor anymore. Like Maggie's basically saying this car is Gansy, and by letting Blue drive it, she's like, I don't know. I kind of see it as a sex metaphor, but I think it's just <laughs> sort of I even mean, all encompassing, yeah. um, letting someone, take, you know, we know how precious the car is to Gainsey. You know, he's Ronan's his best friend. He doesn't let Ronan drive the car, but he's letting Blue do it. And it's just the way that it's silent. It's all unsaid. They barely say anything. It's just, they switch places in the car. He teaches her, it's stick shift. So it's it's like much. (laughs) Right, exactly.
0: It's not even trying to be subtle about it. Right. like And just, yeah, like you, you bring up a really great point that the fact that the entire scene is silent and they don't exchange a word through the whole thing is just that
2: much more intense totally yeah all those silent moments and like they have to touch because like you said it's a stick shift car and learning how to like shift in between the gears is a perfect way for you know gansey and blue to like have their hands on each other and like have his hand on her knee so she can feel what the clutch feels like and it just it kills me. So
0: I remember when I first read that scene, I was just like, um, "Ganzi's hand on Blue's thigh is like the sexiest thing I've ever read in my life." Somehow, right. and I have read some Explicit appallingly sexy stuff. things.
2: Yeah. I know it is really good. So for me, one of my favorite moments, though, is like one of the more subtle moments. I think in this chapter was like Blue turns down the or turns up the radio and rolls down the windows, and it's kind of cold. So the windows are like blowing all this air in and it says it was too cold for that really. But Gansey reached into the back seat without taking his eyes off the road and dragged his overcoat to the front. She put it on shivering when the silk lining chilled her bare legs, the collar smelled of him. They didn't speak. It's just like, that's, I love this on a deeper level. This idea of just like looking out for each other's needs in that way is really nice. And it's very chivalrous and but also it's just it's building that tension so well like the silk of his jacket causing even more of a chill is just like oh i feel it too feel yeah it she too. puts his jacket on and then she puts
0: his hand her hand over his hand on the on the gear shift and it's just all like white knuckled it's it's a lot that's real well good
1: it's very sexy too for them because it's a secret, right? They keep saying it's against the rules. That's something they keep saying. And the rules are sort of what they made up. Like Adam really hasn't shown any indication that he's really upset about it. Um, and so a lot of it, I mean, they're very, they're worried about upsetting Adam, which is totally understandable, but these rules are really made up in their head. And mm-hmm. I really, uh, upon reading this a second time, um, this on this reread, I wasn't so much focused on, Uh, the relationship progression between the two of them because I know how it ends Uh, but I was focused on the way that Blue talks about how there are multiple versions of Gansey because this is something that in the Dream Thieves Ronan talks about too when him Mm -hmm. and Gansey go off together like Blue remarks this wasn't the Gansey she'd seen in the kitchen earlier this was the Gansey she secretly called at night Uh, so you know there's there's Richard Gansey the third or whatever. There's, you know, Raven Boy Gansy, but then there's also this secret Gansy that if you take him out at night, he's dangerous and thrilling. The and Gansy on
0: fire Gansy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, Blue is attracted to this Gansy. And Aren't then- we all? Yeah. Everyone, right? <laughs> then, but it's a switch. He's so good at at the switch. You guys have spoken about him switching before, but then we see it when he he they pull up and see Henry and it's like it's totally different now. The Their secret bubble has been punctured by this other boy yeah. and, you know, his voice changed immediately to his Raven boy one, which made Blue suddenly annoyed to be in the car with him. And it's just made me really thoughtful about, you know, who is the real gainsy It's the one that's excited about Glendower, right? It's the one that Blue cares about. It's the one with his friends. But can you really be with someone and love someone if you're not seeing the full picture of them, all of them? Because he can't mm-hmm. stop being Richard the third. He's not going to Step away from his family. He loves them. Yeah. I don't know. It was just something that I thought about on, on yeah. yeah That's again.
2: a good way. Well, I think let's save some of our other favorite moments from this for our swoon section because I know we all just are swoony about this chapter in general. But I do think that's a, maybe a good segue into talking about blue. I think in this book, it's again, as we said, it's her book, Blue Lily Lily Blue. It's as if we did not, if the title didn't give it <laughs> away, it. It's very much centered on her in a lot of ways, but I think how that chapter ends with, again, Gansy kind of switching into this Agumby boy version of himself is a really interesting way to kind of set up what Baloo's going through. And it's an interesting way to kind of put a lot of things uh, to the forefront here in terms of like, her struggles in this book. So. You know, one of the things that struck me rereading this and after we talked so much in our Dream Thieves episode about the fight with her and Adam where they break up is I feel like this scene ends up mirroring that in a lot of ways for me. So, like, it starts off, this chapter starts off with, like, she's, she's angry you know, she's projecting all of these issues that she has, you know, she is mad at Callan Persephone for not telling her more about what's going on with her mom or what they think is going on with her mom. She's mad at Mora for, for leaving. She thinks about how she's not able to go to a fancy college of not being able to kiss Gansey about the fact that she knows he's going to die. So all these things are coming to a head and she actually directly compares it to Adam at that point. She thinks about how, it wasn't worth kicking anything without anyone seeing so she's kind of like thinking about that same sort of like expression of anger that adam does in that same scene where he kicked or in that scene he lightly punches the wall but in their when their early fights he'd kicked this cardboard table so she she's wishing she could do that same sort of thing but there's no one around so instead she tries to call Gansy and have maybe that be some sort of release or to turn down the heat like on an the intention yeah so then when henry appears at the end of that chapter you know i think first of all i think they're probably both very sexually frustrated i'm just gonna put that out there like they literally cannot act on anything that they're doing because of her curse but she's already been angry and maybe this scene with Gansy turned down the temperature on that a little bit but now it's ratcheted back up because he's flipped to this president's cell phone version of Gansy, and i think that her freak out towards him at that point is motivated mostly by, again, these simmering f- feelings of anger, not versus anything really that Henry says. Yes, his joke about the uh, locals raping him is not great. Don't like that at all, but nothing else he really says in that scene is terribly offensive in any way. She's just mad and this is the conduit for it. And her lashing out at Gansy is the equivalent of what she wanted to do at the beginning of the chapter, kicking something, showing some expression of anger. And so I thought it was just really interesting to show how her, this anger that she has and this fear, I think, is really where a lot of it comes from. It's kind of coming to a surface here in the middle of the book.
0: Yeah, I always interpreted it as just sort of like a, a, a fear-based and a frustration-based thing. Like she has just had this state this with Gansey and then reality has stepped back in and she remembers, that uh, oh, this can never happen. And like the anger at that and the fear that he's going to die makes her lash out at him because just wanting him so badly in that moment and then being confronted again with the end is just, it's too much.
2: And she says too, you know, she knew she was being over the top. Like she's kind of cognizant of that, but I think it's really interesting to see how, like you said, exactly this fear is manifesting itself for her in, in anger. And I think that's where a lot of her snap at other people in this book comes from it's just how she's channeling that in a different way you know we've talked a lot about Ronan's anger in the earlier books that stem from grief you know Adam's anger comes from a lot of different places that we've talked about at length but hers is really just her her kind of her fear and once I kind of came to that realization as to, and we can talk about more as we keep talking about her, but it made me kind of relate to her more. Cause we've talked before, about I've always had a harder time connecting with blue than the other ones in this series because it comes off as a lot of immaturity a lot of times, but here she, obvi- these concerns are very real that she has and that yeah. she's burdened with at this time.
0: I also really love that moment for Gansey because he, at first gets a little bit defensive and is trying to like rationalize what's going on but then he kind of realizes that she is like he recognizes that she is acting out she's lashing out because of something else and he's like all right well are you going to are you ever going to tell me what you're what you're really upset about yeah. and you know obviously she's not going to but i i love that for him that he recognizes that that this is not about him this is something else and he's mm-hmm. just there to take it and he's okay with that
2: I also like that too, and I know we'll talk about some great Blue and ronin stuff in this book, but it's a kind of a direct parallel to Ronan because later Adam gets mad at Ronan for lashing out and shutting down. Uh, and Adam is mad, not because he's doing that, but because he knows it's just he's like avoiding. And that's what Ganzi feels about Blue here. He picks that up and Blue, so it's another nice parallel between uh, Blue and ronin and how similar they are in a lot of ways.
1: There's a scene when Blue is talking with Mallory about spending all that time with Gainsey and how Gainsey just up and left him, and it's a moment for Blue when she realizes that yes, Gainsey has lived an incredibly privileged life. He's you know he's wealthy in love and wealthy in money and all the thing that money all the things that money can buy, but he's been through a really traumatic event. He died, (laughs) and he's constantly living with the guilt from that, with all the issues from that, and I think some trauma. uh, You know every and every time he hears like the flutter of wings and insect. And we've seen him have these panic attacks, and it's a it's a definite moment for Blue because, she, and I think it really does show her maturity, but also her like her beginning to grow because she's recognizing that people have layers. People, you know, just because they're privileged in one sense doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it, it's not a privilege to go through trauma. And here, you know, Blue's mother has left her and. Blue hasn't reckoned with that. And once not to jump ahead completely, but I think Mm -hmm. once Persephone dies, it's a huge moment for blue because she says, you know, uh, there would now and forever be two blues, the blue that was before and the blue that was after the one who didn't believe in the one who did. And Persephone dying makes everything so much more real for Blue and makes her really deal with that trauma. And now she's getting what she was sort of jealous of all the other boys for having this horrible thing happen. And she realizes that it's not something to be jealous of. It's not, doesn't make you a better person to have been through trauma. Um, And I think that's like a lesson that she really needs to learn. Yeah. I
2: like the the connection though with that moment of realization about Yancy, and then kind of where things end for her in this book. You know, I think at the end when she finally goes forward alone in the cave, you know, she talks about how she was brave because she was afraid, um, which always makes me think that's like Game of Thrones. Things, right? It doesn't uh, Ned say that to to Bran. Thrawn, I, think. I think. Yeah, or somebody. Yeah. Yeah. About how like you need to be afraid in order to be brave. Uh, But, you know, I think because a lot for me, a lot of her anger is just this fear. It's fear of, of, having to do things on her own and now that Persephone has died, she's realized that she could lose everyone that she loves and she's really kind of taken that for granted. She moves forward in the cave at that point. She She wished so much for the presence of the boys or Kala or her mother or she had so many people that she took for granted all the time. She had never needed to be truly afraid before. There had always been another hand to catch her or at least to hold hers as they fell together. But the fact that she's able to finally move forward on her own and do it on her own is such a big moment for her. It sucks that it comes at the hands of the tragedy of Persephone's death and this fear of losing her mother. But everyone has those moments where something happens to them and it it pushes them through their adolescence and makes them grow up. And that's where she's finally getting to by the end of this book. And so I, I, I don't want, and I said this before, I don't want her to have to learn these tough life lessons but she's she's learning them here and like everyone else in this book it's turns into a catalyst for her to really move forward and and grow on her own that plus this revelation of who she is and what her power is that she's a mirror which i really like how
1: that all shakes out here too um, I love the, the quote. She says, it was not that she had aspirations of being a witch. It was that she had been a nameless successor for so long that the idea of having a title or any- being anything was a delicious one. Yeah, right. And so she's been
2: kind of left to feel like she doesn't have this place, even though she has all the support around her, which is great. Like she doesn't have her own responsibility. She doesn't know what her her role is in all of this. So I like then that she finally gets some clarity about that. And it really is helpful to her. Just like again, each of our characters has had those moments of clarity as we saw it in the last book where Caveswater serves as the conduit for Adam finally starting to unlock who he is and Ronan's, you know, dreaming and all of that being the catalyst for his own journey of self-acceptance. That's what we finally get here from Blue is that she knows that she has something to offer. And that gives her a lot of the confidence that she needs to strike out on her own and do what needs to be done. And she, she, she saves the day here in multiple ways at the end of this book. And I love it. And I also just love, too, the full circle of, you know, the page of cups that we talk about in the first book, the the, the, the opportunity, the the possibility. Potential. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we get here. And she she has that in tenfold the new new uh, it's innumerable at this point because she's a mirror and she just amplifies and multiplies everything that's in front of her um so i love that for her it's great i also there's also just a lot of like fun moments in with her stuff here i love everything with her and mr gray and this book is great this back half of the book just him stepping up i mean when you think
0: about it he has not known them for very long at all like a couple months max, right? So more disappearing and him still sticking around and not only that, but kind of stepping up and being almost like a father to her. Like he helps her with her homework. He takes her out for food. He comes over. And even though she is ostensibly closer to Persephone and Calla, she feels better with him there. Like they, they have a, a similar love. I mean, obviously not the same kind of love, but a similar love for Mora that bonds them and they have the same sense of humor that Maura does and that bonds
2: them. And yeah. I think all of, all of their scenes are so sweet. I love that, that scene too, where they're in the car and they realize that they, they had missed being in the company who someone there with someone who had their same sense of humor, which is to say they like miss Mora. which yeah, I love that. And then I love the full circle moment at the end then too, where she is able to use that the, pink knife. The pink knife that he gives her to free him and ultimately get them out of the cave. And that's great. And then Tasia, you had a great note. I love this too about the scene where Mr. Gray's talking with Gwenplian.
1: calls him a handsome sword, which I find is delightful. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it is really. Uh, it's perfect, is what it it's is.
1: Perfect. But I never would have put that those words together, but it's perfect.
2: Gwynplian is great. She really cuts the core of everyone. We'll talk about her in a minute. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Blue at some point thinks somewhere there is a lesson in this when she watches Mr. Gray talk to Gwently in a way that actually gets her to reveal things. Because they have been trying to talk to her and question her and interrogate her for the entire time she's been there. And she is just not forthcoming. She turns everything into a weird song or a riddle. But I think the lesson that she's learning from Mr. Gray here and seeing him successfully uh, question her is that in order to get information from somebody, you need to speak their language. And frequently, Gwendolyn, that means poetry and songs. And obviously, Mr. Gray is uniquely qualified for that. But I think she takes that lesson into the next book when she attempts to speak to her father in the tree. And she uses the language box to literally speak his language. And that doesn't work. But what works is her figuratively speaking her language, talking about her love for the trees and for all of that. Yeah. So I think that's... That's the lesson she got from him there.
2: Yeah. And he really does understand her, too. He says at one point, you know, I wouldn't have uh, pegged you as being someone who liked normal, or, or wouldn't have pegged you for being a fan of normal. Uh, so, yeah, the, everything about their relationship is just really adorable to me. I, I love it a lot. I also hope, too, that Blue is just like totally not faced about the fact that her father is like a 600 year old Welshman. She's just like, Okay, I'm gonna roll with this. (laughs) She's not particularly bothered by it at all. She barely thinks about it. But instead, what I do like is that realization for her kind of goes back to kind of what we got in the first part of this book, where Orla is like, you know, you don't need to, you know, I'm trying to protect you. You don't have to have your friendships like this all the time. You know, why are you so into these? these boys and Blue kind of has this realization then that she thinks earlier in the year when Blue had first met the boys there had been a moment when Ben suddenly struck by how she was being drawn into their tangled lives now she realized she had never been drawn in she had been there all along together with this woman and all the other women at Foxway and maybe even Mallory and his dog they were not creating a mess they were just slowly illuminating the shape of it so I like for her to realize that she's just not an accessory to this story. She's a very critical part of the story, which we kind of talked about at the beginning, how this all starts when blue comes in into the picture. And it's not because she's an amplifier because she it, it's because she's integral to it. And I love that. I think
0: it's highlighted in a really great way in that cave scene when they're trying to lift up the the lid to the tomb
2: mm-hmm. that
0: has Gwentlin in it. And it's not until blue can get both hands on it as well that it just comes up really easily.
2: Oh, chills! I got chills.
0: They all, <laughs> they all need. I think it's just like the the symbolism of it that they are all need, and obviously blue is is like you said critical. I also love in that scene though when it talks about how on one side of the tomb there was Gansey and Blue smushed together, and on the other side it was Ronan and Adam, which is I think a very <laughs> clear.
1: <laughs> the root of the story is definitely found families, and it, it's blue finding out her biological father is something that she was like interested in but it doesn't change anything and it doesn't right. change her dynamic with mr gray who stepped in really well to be a parental figure and the seamless way that it it all sort of goes down i think is really lovely and exemplifies the the th- sort of theme like the people that you find to be your support system yeah um can be more important than like your biological family i mean it's obviously like adam's family but then you also see it in blue's family and Canty and
2: yeah that's a really good point yeah because at that cave scene at the end she's just like yeah i'm more with daughter it's like you can't be and she's like all right you, go, you gotta get with the program here yes like let's put two and two together we gotta move on here and then mr gray comes and she's like i'm not leaving like I, i'm not leaving without him and so she hesitantly tries to get artemis out of that cave but when as soon as mr gray's there she's like no no like i gotta get him out and i love that it's That's great. Then what I do have to like two seconds of conversation with her biological father, and she's like, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're gonna be a pain in the ass. Right. Oh, and then what does Mr. Gray say at the end there about why she should go ahead and leave him?
1: Listen to me. uh, take them and go. I've earned this. This is how I've lived, and this is what it's come to. Now is the time to be a hero. Uh, I, I was really struck by the fact that he says, now isn't the time to be a hero. He says, now is the time to be a hero. So you he doesn't consider
0: saying to help him a heroic mm-hmm. act. He thinks yes. leaving him is the heroic act. Oh, my which is, God.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. It's so good. And, but yet she saves them all because she is the hero of this book, which mm-hmm. I really I love that for her.
0: That was a really good point. Like, I hadn't really thought about that much, but she does save the day in multiple ways at the end of this book. Which, yeah. Like She's the one that that helps them figure out to to ride the animals into the hole. She's the one who figures out that the that the lake in the cave is like an illusion. Mm-hmm. She's the one who figures out. She's the only one who can resist the call of of the third sleeper. Like mm-hmm. she's
2: she's really coming into her own in this one. She's a badass. Yeah, it's great. I love this book for her. One other thing I wanted to point out though that made me sad and like kind of wistful, piggybacking off of what we talked about last week with Jenna, I think she made the point about how Blue is kind of really focused in on this curse of Jesse Ditley is because she's trying to deal with her own curse and how it could affect Gansey. And I like the continuation of that here where she's so convinced that once they remove removed Gwensley from the cave, we got rid of your, your curse, Mr. Ditley. And that's not the reality. But you can see when she when she thinks that that's what happened to Jesse, Dittley, she is almost relieved. She feels lighter in a lot of ways. It seems like, because she's like, okay, well, if his curse worked out, maybe my curse will work out. And his curse doesn't work out. He still, he still dies here. The cave. Gwynethlian wasn't the curse. She was actually helping abate the curse in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, Jesse Dilly is such a good boy. He's like, oh, I figure she took, you know, she guarded the cave
0: for her time. Now it's my turn. And he just, I love it. she comes over and he's like, yeah, life is pretty great.
2: But, uh, you know, there are all these monsters that get into my house, but it's, it's yeah. fine. Poor went out for Jesse Ditley, man. What a uh, rough way to go. He is a good character and I like him a lot. was <laughs> so sad. It was really sad. Yeah. I guess we can continue to talk about, talk about Gansey. There are some other good bluesy moments that we didn't talk about yet. They continue to just kind of really know what the other one needs here and I like that for ganzi because we we talked a lot last week about how he's just a a ball of anxiety and fear and concern here. And yet he is still managed to be what she needs. And the lot moment of I
0: ways. really love for him is when when he shows up after Persephone dies. And you know, he and he and and run up to the porch and Adam is out there. And Ronan stays with Adam and ganzi asks where Blue is, and, and Adam kind of goes, I don't know, like, like why would I know kind of thing because he's not really concerned about blue he's concerned about his own grief during this but gansy's first thought is blue where is blue i need to be there for her and no one else is doing that because blue's upstairs in persephone's room by herself
2: yeah so he
0: goes up there and i just love the parallel between like their first car scene when when she like hugs him and they're like close to kissing and she says oh help 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 mm-hmm. and when gansy hugs her here to comfort her he thinks to himself oh help yeah. just cuz both of them are so overwhelmed by by their feelings yeah. for each other.
2: I even like before that though, he like gets up there and he's like, I'm sorry. You took me a long time. My phone was off and she goes, I guess there was no point in hurrying anyway. And he just thinks himself odd ah, blue. Like, you know, he just, he knows how upset she is in that moment. And it's such a lovely, quiet little moment.
1: It's very interesting. Uh, ganzi's journey in these, in the books we've read so far, this is his quest, right? Glendower is his thing, but The first book, Adam, is the one that takes the lead and goes off sort of on his own. In the second book, it's Ronan's book. This is Blue's journey. Gansey's really not been a part of the main climaxes of these books so far. I mean, obviously, The Raven King is Gansey's book, but considering that he's the one that everyone thinks of as the leader, it's just very fast. It's fascinating that for three-fourths of the journeys, he's sort of on the back burner. He's the support of everybody. And one of the scenes that I'm so struck by for Gansey in the second half of this book is when they find Glumelian and he's just thinking, this wasn't the way it was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be crammed in between school events and congressional tests. It shouldn't have been a murky fall day, too humid. It should have been a day where he had slept properly enough to feel things. And I think one of the thesis statements of this book, these books is you can want something so badly, but like... It's it's not so much getting it; it's the journey, mm-hmm. and if it, in in it feeling so wrong to him is just so fascinating, and how upset he is when they find Gwendolyn's tomb.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting how they all kind of sense the wrongness of that before they realize it isn't Glendower. Like none of them feel like this is the right like pomp and circumstance for the moment. They're all kind of shocked that they found anything at all and yeah. i think it's it's not because there's anything outwardly wrong with that scene or the moment for the for any of them but because this whole thing has has been about the journey and their journey didn't feel finished yet so none of them felt like the moment was right
2: right and i think too we talked a lot about last week and we get way more of it again here is this again how anxious and fearful gansy is at all of this and it's not until he finally which we see at the beginning of The Raven King, kind of accepts everything that's going on and he kind of plows ahead and he kind of just calms himself in a lot of ways that he is ready to accept the end of the journey. But in this book, he's very much not for those reasons that you said, that you know it doesn't, it doesn't feel right because he knows it's not right. He's the scholar and Gansey knows that it didn't seem right. But also I think because the journey is a metaphor, he is not ready yet in this book you know we we get it at the um earlier in this book too where he says we're really doing this and Adam's like yeah we're doing this and you know, he's very hesitant this whole time including through this book and he still has a lot he has to work through and he gets there eventually but we just still get so many more moments of him being so anxious about all of this we also get a ton more of these time slipping time of no time references here. In so this many book. in this book. Yeah. It's it's really like when you go back, I mean, I would not have had the vocabulary to articulate what was ultimately going to happen with him, but it is all just it's there. It is right there. It's one of those things about Maggie's writing is it always feels like that. Like
0: that's why it's so rewarding on reread because the first time through you are missing just and it you reread it and you're like this was fucking obvious. Like they couldn't she shouted this at me, basically, and I ignored it.
2: Yeah. One of the things I really like, though, so he has this moment where he goes into the teacher's lounge at Aglandy to get coffee, which I love because it says something like uh, students officially were not allowed into the teacher's lounge. But unofficially, Gansey was due to gross favorite at <laughs> summer It's like, I normally hate the teacher's pet, but I love you, Nancy, so it's okay. But when he's there, he's thinking about how it's this formless place. And it was a room that kind of, again, made him think about how Agamby is just kind of out of time. But while he is in that formless place, he found himself intensely grateful for Ronan and Adam waiting outside for him, for Blue and her family, for Noah and for Mallory. He was so grateful to have found them all finally. And so I love that I this idea that these friends he's made are like the grounding force for him as he struggles with this time slipping. It's just, it's perfect. It's what it is.
1: Something Ooh. that is really striking me the most on this reread, maybe not the most, but like second, maybe to the Adam stuff is that Gainesy knows he's going to die, yeah. right? I mean, I mean, a lot of this is hanging over his head because he has died already and he feels a lot of this guilt and everything coming from that and being reborn. But I remember, you know, reading The Raven King in my mouth like dropping open because I really do think that this colors all of his interactions in these earlier books, especially because I think when they find when Lillian, he really starts thinking to himself. You know, he's not ready for it to be over because if he's when it's over, he's you know he's gone. And I, it's not necessarily that he's thinking that he's he doesn't want to die. I mean, but he doesn't. But it's also like his he finally has these friends, his these friends that he loves so much, and and as and as much as he wants, you know, the end goal. Every step that he gets to that end goal. Is a step for it, you know. Then it's over. And who is he without Glendower? Yeah.
2: Well, one thing actually says to him at one point too that she used to dream of death. And what did I get besides stupidity and blindness? And I think that that's a really big thing for a lesson for Gansey to learn in this book. You know, he's in this book. He is under the specter of his own death and is very anxious about that and is struggling with that. And it's making him I, I wouldn't say stupid or blind, but it's definitely he's not ready at this point to do what he has to do. But so I think he does take that lesson to heart then subconsciously, I guess, by the Raven King where we see that he is finally kind of accepted it and it just he moves through that book with a different sense of calm than what we've seen from him in this book. And I like how that all shakes out. And I just I also love too that scene with, Blue and Mallory is so good where we get the this backstory of Gansey's time with Mallory. It's such a good primer as to who this this Gansey is, you know, this where a lot of what he's struggling with now comes from, that him dealing with his trauma and which which was way more at the forefront back then. I mean, Gansey basically. didn't
0: already feel like such a tragic figure. <laughs> he would after reading that, just Ugh. hearing about his screaming nightmares, his obsession with death, his, his scribbling bees on
2: everything. Like, it's its so sad. Yeah, uh, it is so sad. But then we get good Gansey growth still in this book, too. And he comes in and he's listening to this conversation. And he thinks about, you know, it was cowardice and stupidity. I didn't like goodbye, so I just abstained and I didn't think about the consequences. And then he goes on to say, but know that I regretted it a lot. And it, it's just... He's growing. And I, I love that. But then we also get, to from Mallory, this idea that he can read other people's auras. And Gansey has, like, a pleasantly neutral aura, which I love. And and I remember, actually, vividly, the first time I reread this book after, like, the, the first time I read it. And I, like, my jaw dropped when I read that because it's, like, the biggest, yeah. like, ding, ding, Mallory ding. Mallory says like, he doesn't feel like a person. Right. <laughs> it is right there. It's right there. It's so good. It's uh, God, Maggie. Again,
1: I'm a big uh, like Arthurian legend like person. Uh, I don't know a lot about the Welsh derivatives of that, unfortunately. Um, for this these books, but I, I I'm just constantly thinking about Gainsey being the king and not ready for it, and then in the fourth book he's sort of almost ready for it, and like yeah. the journey of him. Taking on the mantle of leadership, and it's when he meets Gwen. Gwen Ellen. Um, I'm, I i, I can not pronounce anything. I don't know. It I'm wasn't. The- it, it wasn't until
2: <laughs> I listened to the audiobook that I, I'm just going okay. with what, what, what Will <laughs> yeah, Penn yeah. says, which yeah. is Gwendlyen. Gwen, Gwen- I, I don't. I doubt that's even
0: correct, but that's yeah. what I'm going Gwen. with because that's what I've heard. Gwen, Gwen
1: is
2: work. Let's go with Gwen. Gwen. Love yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, this book, I really started to see more of the like kingly Arthurian. Parallels. I think they talk a lot about Adam and Ronan being his magicians as well as his knights. There's a lot mm-hmm. of imagery there that really focuses on it. You know, Ronan is his knight and magician, and so is Adam. And you also have him sort of understanding what it takes, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? It's a Shakespeare quote, but it really Gainesy's not despite everyone anointing him, he hasn't taken it up, taken it up on himself. I think he says, you know, when everybody when Adam and Ronan go to make sure that everything is safe in the cave. He goes, I can't live with this, Gainsey said, if anything has happened. And Gwyneth says, you'll never be king. Don't you know how war works? And he he has this leader presence. He has this kingly presence and everyone is constantly noticing it and recognizing it. But yeah. he is not quite there yet because you can't just have the good things that come from it. You also have to have the bad stuff too. Right. Well, and then we get this the comment, which is
2: very creepy, raining down blood on in the sky. But that's also in retrospect, like the biggest, like duh, this is who Gansey's going to be because the comment appeared when Glendower was coming to power, and we are on the rise of Gansey here. I mean, that's what we're we're barreling towards. Why it has to bleed bleed blood onto them? I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable. Everybody just seems so like cavalier about the whole thing too they're like oh yeah raining blood that's you know a day in well, the life i think they're also s- shell-shocked about pulling a 600 year old woman out of this cave They're just like mm, blood too makes sense Why so not? fucking
0: scary like that i remember the first time i read that the glentheon scene in the cave i it was so scary
2: it is so scary ugh, it is so scary but that the hair moving and they think maybe it's rats and oh Ugh, it, it, well, yeah i i texted you guys I, this. I was them. listening to this audiobook the other day traveling for work it was horribly snowy out earlier that day and as she like pops out of the tomb literally a wave of snow like fell off a truck onto my car and i was just like, ah! like I <laughs> luckily there weren't a lot of other cars around because i definitely like swerved a little bit i was like this is very ominous i don't care for it uh, but it is very scary see everybody's <laughs>
0: reactions to it too i think uh what does Gansy say? Oh, um, Jesus Christ, Gansy said to hide the sound of every hair on his body standing up and both of his testicles retreating.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, and like when she like takes over chainsaw and is like singing through chainsaw, and then I don't really have any Ronin notes from this book. It's not really his book at all. But when they leave the cave, he's like holding chainsaw to his chest, like no. she's a little baby Raven again because he just. was like, how dare you do this to my bird? Uh, he kicked in that tomb door because he was so pissed about it. Yeah. Well, and that's when you get a good glimpse of as King, right? He yells at Ronan in that moment, being like, don't make me wish I'd come without you. And he gets Ronan to stop then. And that's what I like then, too, about the end, which is kind of. In some ways, I don't think he realizes this, but a, a conclusion of Gansey's arc in this book is then once all of them bring all of their magical elements together with these animals, Gansey's power comes into play, which is this uh, ability to make people make these like objects. Yeah, do what he says. And Adam thinks about how this is the voice he'd heard Gansey use numerous times on Ronan, on him, on others, and it's working on these other other beings. In this cave with them and it's it's just a grateful circle moment because by that point we have adam Ronan, and blue have now by that point all coming in a better sense and a better command of their own powers and they as his his knights as you said jesse bring it all together and all of them building to that moment enable gansey to command and that's very important going forward in the story and i love
1: it so there's like a quick line he says glendower should have ruled Ruled by request, not by command. That was the king he saw. It
2: <laughs> oh, <that's> so good.
0: <laughs> I love. I love that. Just like Cave's water, Gansey's power is all about intention. Right. Ugh. Like that's that's what matters, and that's what gives his voice the power.
2: It's so good. Damn, these looks are good, guys. Don't know if you knew that. And I love that. And it's like we can talk. This will be a good segue into Adam because I have thoughts I know on Gwendlyne and her. Thoughts on Adam, which are interesting, but <laughs> I
1: love them so much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but she says to so, into "Like you remind me of my father," and it's just—it's all—it's all right there. I mean, it's exactly who she is, and he's coming into that position at the end of the book. It's great. So that's the thing about Guenther, you know, right? She comes out and she comes out swinging for all of them, and she pegs them all totally correctly. At you know, she says to. To Gansey, you remind me of my father. She says, "Ronan, you're Raven Prince." She immediately says to Blue, "Well, it's fitting that you're going to untie me since your father's the one who tied me up in the first place." But then she, and it says specifically, Gwentlian had already proven herself extremely gifted at finding each person's one weakness and then leaning on it casually. Yeah. She, so she, she but she doesn't like Adam.
1: You don't understand. Are my least favorite.
2: <laughs> okay. So. She
0: calls him a mongrel, like which is obviously very intentionally pushing on on that pressure point for him. But why? Why is she? Okay,
2: do you think she like equates him with Artemis in some ways? Because Artemis, we find out more in the next book, is like, was responsible for putting her to sleep and that didn't work out. Like she didn't really fall asleep like she was supposed to. So I don't know if she seeks this like magician she, see, she recognizes this magician's side to Adam in this book. And maybe that's why she doesn't like it because she kind of senses that he is that equivalent of like Artemis to Glendower. Adam is the equivalent of that to Gansey. I don't, I don't know. That's my only Or thought. maybe he's the
0: equivalent to Iolo Gok or whatever his name was, which was. Oh, his, was it the uh, poet
2: or whatever? Yeah. The one she tried to stab. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I think it's more so just like a very clever like, way to highlight Adam's continued doubts about himself. But yeah, Adam, the hits just keep on coming when it comes to Adam Parrish in this book, mm-hmm. his journey through this book, book, too. I just, I love it so much. There's so much good stuff here. <laughs> it's just in this back <laughs> half alone. I'm like overwhelmed by it. I just I have written at one point in all caps in my notes. I'm obsessed with his arc. My God, like I can't.
0: <laughs> he does have one of the clearest and most rewarding arcs, like aside right. from maybe Ronan's and the dream thieves, which is a very I mean, it's it's my favorite arc. But Adams throughout the entire series is probably the most rewarding.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't even find it that. Not, I mean, I, I recognize it on my first read, but if you had asked me when I read this a couple of years ago and you said, what's your favorite arc? I would have said gainsy in a heartbeat. And I do like his arc in these books, but on reread, I don't know if I'm in a different place, maybe if I've grown up, if I've read more um, or what, but now it's like Adam, no question. And it's something that I didn't really understand until I, I reread the books and I saw the bigger picture. And maybe it's because I wasn't so... Focused on Gansy and Gansy surviving, and what happens to Gansy? Do they find Glendower? And these questions don't really matter as much, I think, in the scheme of things as they as Adam's Ark, yeah. unla- like lays out itself. And it's that's why I think, like, Adam's Ark is probably the main reason I'm just so so glad I reread these books and I'm able to understand it better because it makes them so much better.
2: It, it it really is just like staggering stuff here. And it's on multiple levels with him. I think that's what's like so impressive to me. So like we talked a lot in the first book in particular and into the Dream Thieves as well. This idea of the, the money and the disparity between him and his friends when it comes to that. But there's just so many moments here where obviously it's still something he's cognizant of. He's never not going to be cognizant of it. But there's just little moments where like... You know, they go to the grocery store, him and Ronan, to get supplies for Gwensleyan, which is, <laughs> I just love the setup of that. Cal's like, go, go to the store. And they, like, look at each other and they're like, what are we supposed to do there? And they're like, I don't know. We got to get out of here before she yells at us. But, you know, he he thinks about how Ronan throws this like $14 shampoo into the car and he thinks it was impossible to turn off the part of his brain that added the sum of groceries, but he doesn't dwell on it. He just like moves on. He doesn't chastise Ronan about it in the same way he used to chastise Gansy, be like, money is money. You need to be cognizant of this. When Ronan goes through the checkout counter with swipes his card without thinking, Adam just thinks one day, one day, but he doesn't have that same sense of, Of shame about it like he did when we had that scene earlier where he couldn't buy the toothpaste or whatever and he saw a raven boy who looked like ronan in retrospect do just that you know blue gives him five dollars her share to get into the park when they go to do some ley line work and he pauses about it briefly and then accepts it. So that this little things that it's, he's, it's still important, obviously, but it's, he's not letting it hinder him and his relationships in the same way anymore.
0: Well, yeah, I think at one point he also, he's thinking about how silly it was, like his principles regarding what Ganzi was and was not allowed to give him. Like he talked about how Ganzi had given him a tie for one Christmas and that he'd allowed it because he already had a tie and didn't necessarily need, need it. And now he thinks like, how stupid that was. Like every year he's going to think about how stupid he was the year before that, but he's growing so much like thinking, okay, maybe this isn't charity. Maybe this is just friendship.
2: And then too, we have, we can't, we have to talk about all this whole, I'm a noble thing and how that pays off here in this, because he's talked about it so much. And, but now he's starting to realize that it's not that he's a noble, he's, Made himself that way, and he has refused to look at himself with the attention that he probably should. You know, he thinks at one point, Ronan knew a great deal about how Adam worked. It was possible Adam had always been aware of this, but had preferred to consider himself, particularly the more impenetrable parts of himself, unknowable. So he is recognizing that he did that. I mean, he he was the one who made him self unknowable, not that he was impossible to know. Uh, and, this self-awareness of how closed off he made himself, it, it, I just, I love them that how he continues to move, to move past that here. It's, it's so good. I
1: think we're, we're, we're talking around the the court scene too. Yeah, no, can <laughs> yeah. talk. Yeah. Um, and the. It's sort of shocking for how well laid out Adam's growth is that we get so much of it condensed into one chapter when I think he just realizes all of this. You know, he does. He starts that chapter saying, I am a knowable. I have to do this alone. I have to go to court alone. And he doesn't tell anybody. And then he has like a light bulb moment and thinks he'd been wrong to come here alone. Why did he care if Gansey or Ronan saw this? They already knew. They knew everything about him. The only person who didn't know Adam was himself. What a proud idiot you have been, Adam Parrish. And then like this chapter is like four pages long. It's not even a long chapter. I was shocked when I read it because mm-hmm. it's just, it's so important and it's so beautiful because immediately they show up for him. Yeah.
2: Well, and then it ends too. And we'll talk about like the friendship of it all at the end later. Cause I know we have a lot of feelings about it, but I had like his own personal journey in that chapter, which again, he says four pages is so good. You know, Gansy looks at him and the look in his eyes is asking, is this okay? Is this okay that we're here? And this is what it says. Was it okay? Adam had turned down so many offers of help from Gansey, money for school, money for food, money for rent, pity and charity, Adam had thought. For so long, he wanted Gansey to see him as an equal, but it was possible that all this time, the only person who needed to see that was Adam. Now he could see that it wasn't charity Gansey was offering. It was just truth. Oh, it's just it's like it, it gets even <laughs> well and then it gets better. more this, into the friendship literally this stuff.
0: entire thing typed out it's right. my
2: favorite thing in this book it's so I good so so but like so he gets to this own level of of self-acceptance there right saying it's not pity it's not it, i i was the one who was ashamed of myself but i'm not going to be that way anymore and then plus on top of that And something else, friendship of the unshakable kind, friendship you could swear on that could be busted nearly to breaking and come back stronger than ever. Just, I hit hit my desk because I'm so overwhelmed by it. It's just to see him go through that in that chapter and have it framed by friendship is just such powerful, powerful stuff. And I love it. I love it so much. And then that chapter ends with Adam held out his right hand and Gansy collapsed it in a handshake like they were men because they were men.
0: I typed out like that entire page with all of uh, that entire quote. And uh I think it was like literally crying as I typed it out because it's that affecting.
2: Will I ever be able to read that scene without tearing up? I don't know. I mean, I I love this is one of uh, my favorite things about books generally, their ability to just kind of imprint onto your soul. And there's certain books and certain scenes in books that I will forever remember where it was when I read them for the first time. And I will always remember where I was on when I read this scene. I was on an airplane and was just sitting next to the window, like crying to myself alone. And I couldn't talk to any of you who had read the book because I was on an airplane in airplane mode. And I just will never forget how I felt reading this scene in that moment. It's it's incredible. Guys, they ran for him. They ran.
0: They ran Ronan tied his tie properly for the first time yeah. just to look respectable for him.
2: Yeah. It's too much for me. To handle. We'll talk about it again because I know we all have it highlighted at the end for our superlatives here. But then what's great about after that chapter, we see Adam go through this internal journey is the ne- very next chapter. He decides that he is going to go finally do this caves water work and he brings blue with him because he knows now that he shouldn't be doing things alone. He doesn't have to do things alone. It's not it's stupidity to try to do these things alone. And so he then goes and does this Caveswater work with them. And he also has that great moment where he defends Blue, mm-hmm. which is, again, a nice, it's a subtle, maybe subconscious apology for some of the things he said to her in that scene in The Dream Thieves, where he says, you really can be a raging feminist sometime. He kind of flips that on his head here when he tells this guy, I, I think maybe your mom didn't, or you weren't taught to, how to speak to women. And blues just what like, love, please just punch at him. What I love, what I love about that scene is that
0: Adam doesn't even like. They, they talk about it a little bit later. Adam doesn't even at this moment really know
2: why she's mad, but he backs her up anyway,
0: and right. I love that.
2: Yeah, he says something about how he doesn't even know why she was upset, but she was, and that's why he he wanted to deal with it. And it
0: and it's such a fun scene because they get back in the car and then. Noah's like, you do have nice legs though. And yeah. you know, she so slaps cute. them and they all laugh. And it's just, it's very familial. It doesn't have any like post breakup awkwardness to it. It's really nice. And it, and it does go back again to like, oh, man, they need to have a talk with Adam. <laughs> they really do. Yeah. The Gansy stuff.
2: He'll be okay with it, guys. He's, yeah. he's, He's fine. There's so much juicy stuff. Then when he finally scries though too and goes into Cave's water, just more of his growth there too. He had not known to be born afraid, but he'd learned and how that's had an effect on him and how he's kind of grown up in this this system. How they keep how people keep having kids and expecting things to be different, and he's been trapped in this cycle. But now, ultimately, he he is learning to move beyond that is great um but what i do like especially this is the very next chapter after they were men he's thinking about this how there's multiple caves waters and the enormity of the world grew and grew inside adam and he didn't know if he could hold it he was just a boy was he meant to know this so it's like is he a man is he a boy i i like that we've talked about this before these are kids at the end of the day, they're learning really adult lessons and they're really coming into their own here and their experiences have really shaped them and cemented them. But at the end of the day, they're just kids going through that journey. So I like that callback to that here, too.
1: I like the comparison that Persephone makes for Adam of that of Caveswater and his father. You know, She says Caveswater is not the boss of you just because it's tantrums doesn't mean it's more right than you. I know you're, and then Adam thinks, I know you're not the same as him, but in my head, everything's so tangled. I'm such a damaged thing. And caves like the, him having to learn that just because something seems like is telling him what to do, something is like forcing him to do things. That doesn't mean he's right. He has his own agency. He's able to say, no, this isn't right. i you're not the boss of me, and it's a huge moment for him because this book is—he's breaking free from his father officially, and and then he's also not breaking free of Cape's Water, but realize like this is the book where he's like, this is how I'm going to handle this situation. Like, I know what to do, and like, you can't force me to do anything. Like, I'm not going to go rushing every time you need something. I'm going to Cape's Water, but I'm ready to go to Cape's Water. So it's. Um, it's really interesting growth for Adam yeah. on that perspective too.
2: The more I think about Adam and Caves Water and their relationship, the more it really blows me away. I mean, it's just the clearest metaphor of like a, a conduit to deal with through all these things himself. It gives him, in the lesson surrounding it, gives him the way to learn how to deal with his father. And we get that in that scene before the court hearing, where his dad shows up and in Caves Water he retreats into it, and Caves Water wounds his father actually like, sends a thorn into his palm and it, that's a great scene there too but it, so caves water gives him the ability to learn how to deal with his father and and not retreat into that fear regarding him anymore caves water is a comfort to him and i like that as an idea of a that Ronan is caves water we can't discount that but also it's a metaphor for Adam growing to accept himself. And he thinks earlier in that scene with his dad, that when he retreats into caves water, that's the best version of him. And I think he's realizing that he can be that best version of him all the time. That best version is worth it. So then he continues to call upon caves water for comfort as he goes forward too. So there's just everything with caves water is so juicy to read about. And I just, I really love that so much. And when he scries to find Persephone, he thinks about he was cave water stretching out to the others. And that's what I want for him here. He, yes, he has learned that he does not need to do everything on his own anymore. He needs these people and they're becoming this group in a way more solidified way. And he's accepting that he needs to stretch out to them. And it's just, it's just like every time there's a case water scene, I just like get chills now at this point because it's, it's all so good and there's so many layers to it. And then I think how this book ends with him is the, the idea that Adam was awake and he had f- spent so long being so tired and just struggling between being asleep and awake. And, you know, they talk, there's been so much talk this whole book about the third sleeper. And Adam thinking, so he didn't know if it was true or not, but he sort of liked to believe that he was the third sleeper. <laughs> I love it. Right, because Gwenzelian wasn't asleep, so she possibly doesn't count. Right. Do
1: we ever get a clear
2: no. answer? No. Okay. No. I, I like the layers. It's fine. I like Family. Well, at one point, Super
1: it- 70 says something well, like, well, three is just like a good number. <laughs> yeah, it just me. sounds right. bad. And they
0: and Callum and Persephone themselves disagreed on the existence of, of the middle sleeper at all. Right. So I don't I, I'm I'm willing to take Adam's interpretation of this because yeah. um I mean who in this world who is more like true neutral than Adam Parrish?
2: Yeah. Truly. Let's talk then briefly about Persephone while we're on her for a second here. R. I. P. <laughs> it is rough. I like that she uses whatever time she has left to kind of give this one less lesson to Adam. That's another moment that the first time I read it, I just got chills when he runs back inside and is like, did you see my friend? Like, I know this sounds weird, but did you see my friend? He's like, something terrible has happened. Yeah. It's so good. But then it provides, again, a continuation of Adam's growth where then he goes to Scry to find Persephone and he trusts Calla and Blue to ground him. And then while he's in the midst of it and Blue's freaking out that they're not going to be able to pull him back. She's like, he trusts me. Adam never trusts anyone. He's trusting us to do this. It's great. I have a lot of Cala feelings too. I don't know if you guys feel that about this book. But she is great in this book. She has a lot of humorous moments. And then just her in Blue after Persephone dies, they just come together so nicely. And when Blue like begs her to not go into the cave with them because she can't like bear to lose another person just makes me have a lot of feelings and also then when Kala apparently has told Gansey that she's proud of Adam for like what he did to try to save for Stephanie for someone who was so antagonistic to this whole group of them at the beginning and still well, what is like but that now that, it's she love is. Yeah, yeah right but now it's 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 just kind of love it's so like, go buy us pizza Richie Rich okay yeah that's I love that moment so much we're gonna talk about it again kicking Adam of and Ronan out of the game. house to go buy groceries yeah
1: <laughs> It is interesting the way that I think Gainsy sort of captures what Persephone's death like means the most, even though I feel like he's not, he's maybe the least close to her of like Adam and blue. He says uh, "Gainsy couldn't believe it, not because he could not believe in the nearness of death. He could not stop believing in the nearness of death, but because he could not have expected Persephone to do something as mortal as dying. That's a good
0: one. Also like narrows in on like the underlying point here when Persephone dies and the next there is more is down there, too. And more has been gone for a very long time. So Mora might die. And that puts the urgency in them to get her
2: out. I like all that stuff, too, where she has Persephone has a scene with Adam and he thinks about how he's afraid to lose the human side of things and how he thinks about how much he cares about the fact that more is missing and he cares about what's going to happen to Gansy and he doesn't want to lose those human things. And it's just, it's a a nice moment for him to, to really kind of connect. And he realizes how the importance importance of those connections. So his, his stuff with Persephone is, is great. And I'm sad that that's over for them. That might be a good segue into talking about, him and Ronan in this book because one of my favorite moments is when after Persephone dies and Gansey and Ronan finally show up and Adam's sitting on the front porch and Ronan sits down next to him and Adam goes, I don't want to talk and Gansey or Ronan goes, what the fuck would I talk about? (laughs) Just like he knows exactly what Adam needs at that moment. And I think it's a nice parallel to between um, like when blue and Adam are driving to do the ley line work and blue is like pushing Adam to talk and Ronan knows when not to do that. And knows that that's not how to get Adam to, to communicate. Ultimately you can't push Adam to do that. He'll talk when he's ready. And if he wants to, but we got some other good stuff, uh, good pinch stuff here in this book too. The shopping
0: cart. Yeah. It's so sweet.
2: That scene is so funny to me. You already did it. dog just joke like, get in, with Kennel. Don't, yeah. Oh, <laughs> don't but make those ugly. the whole yeah. But the whole the whole build is that when they're in the grocery store, Ronan keeps making these terrible dog jokes, and Adam calls him on it. you already did that. He's like, "So I did perish." And then later, Ronan's like, "I really don't have any other jokes, do I?"
0: <laughs> I love when they see Piper Green mantle, and Ronan's like, "Hey, look at that," and Adam's like. She doesn't strike me as your type. <laughs> yeah. But I, really-
1: I really view them as a team in this book. Like, oh, they're yeah. constantly, like, the magicians, you know, like, they, you know, I love, like, before they go in the pit together, they just, like, look at each other and, like, nod. And then I like, <laughs> go and, like, head out, like, all brave and, like, mm-hmm. and in, even the planning of the the Green Mantle, like, scheme – They like work together. I love this line. How appropriate was that Ronan left to his own devices, manifested beautiful cars and beautiful birds and tender-hearted brothers while Adam, when given the power, manifested a filthy string of perverse murders. It's I so I that's there's so much
2: juicy stuff there in that scene in the church, which I think we should should dive into because this is a book of Adam having a lot of realizations about Ronan. We got it in the barns in the last chapter, and then we get this church scene here where he thinks about exactly what you just said. You know, it ends in a very violent way with Ronan bringing back this, this horrible thing, this, uh, this version of himself that's dying. I, I, I think that, you know, Adam at that point is still in that moment engaging in some of this self-loathing, right? He thinks he's bringing Ronan down to his level that Ronan only is capable of dreaming these beautiful things. And that's not true. We know that. Ronan has a lot of darkness within him, too, that manifests itself in actual like, night horrors and like violent things. So I think that... When at the end of that chapter, and I talked about it a little bit before, where Ronan's freaking out and wants Adam to leave. You know, he, in that moment, I think has shame that Adam, who he has all these feelings for, is seeing a darker side of him. Adam is looking at it saying, I've made Ronan do this. Ronan's looking at it saying, I don't want Adam to see this dark side of me. This has happened before. He's acknowledged that this has happened before. So they're really just trying to, click in together and learn more about each other in that scene. And then all of this stuff too, about the idea that Ronan belonged in this church as well. We talked a lot about the religion and how it's affected Ronan's life too. And so I like that they are bringing, we're bringing together here, these kind of two sides of Ronan, this like very ethereal dreamer side of Ronan and this more traditional religious side of Ronan. They hatched this truly awful plan in this church of all places. This is really just coming together on a lot of different sides of Ronan here in this church.
0: I love Adam's note that it seemed impossible for all of Ronan to exist in one person. Adam was beginning to realize that he hadn't known Ronan all at all, or rather he'd known part of him and assumed it was all of him. And hes that's, the, I think, around the same moment where he's thinking it was possible there were two gods in this church, which is just an all-timer of a it's line.
2: So it's so good. And it's all coming on the heels, though, of Adam knowing that Ronan has kind of tapped into who Adam really is. He thinks, you know, Ronan knew a great deal about how Adam worked. It was possible. Adam had always been aware of this, but had preferred to consider himself, particularly the more impenetrable parts of himself, unknowable. I brought that up before, but again, it just really is is true, is that Ronan is, is tapping into that. And I think that's why earlier when they're in the grocery store, when Adam says, I want the favor, and Ronan stops abruptly and says, come on, Paris, you still think you need that? You know, Ronan doesn't know the truth of what Adam means at that point by the favor. Adam, at that point, has already co- is going to use the favor to save Gansey. He's already thinking about that, but Ronan doesn't know that. So, Ronan sees at that moment that Adam is worth more than. Is then the struggle to get through Ag the struggle to go to a good college, which is what he thinks Adam is going to be asking for. You know, he, Adam can't tell him the real reason he wants the favor, but it's nice to see that Ronan a knows that Adam's worth more and has already picked up on the fact that Adam is changing and growing. And he's shocked that, come on, you, I can see that you are tapping into yourself better. Why, why do you still think you want this favor to, get all these other goals. So I, I just really like that moment. Then the scene where they confront Green Mantle is just great too. I love Green Mantle describing them as like horror movie
0: twins. Yeah. One of my favorite lines too is when Green Mantle is talking about how uh, Adam Adam was kind of strange and ethereal looking and and he says something like, Ronan looked like Nile, which was to say he looked like an asshole. Perfect.
2: I mean, it's true. yeah. It's totally true.
0: But just the way they're both so cool when confronting this like imminently dangerous guy and they hand him this envelope and they're just like, they they scare the shit out of Colin, which is not a simple
2: task. Yeah. I do like to the end of that scene where Ronan says this lat- or the, the envelope has a, ro- a Latin pro- proverb written on. It. Yeah, He who does something by
0: the hand of another oh, yeah. does it himself or something like that.
2: Yeah, which is just a wonderful, a little nod to uh, why they're doing this, because Vernon is very upset that they can't pin, like, Niall's death on on Colin, and Adam has psychologically explained to him, like, we, we can't, there's too many unknowns about it, yeah. we need to come up with this other awful, hor- horrific plan, which I love them later when Mr. Gray says to Blue, like, I've been hired by your friends, Mr. <laughs> Parish <and> Mr. Lunch. <laughs> it's just like very businesslike. And Blue's like, mm-hmm, yes. Like, like, You know any of good places to hide a body? Yeah. asking he, for a friend. He doesn't want to tell Blue anything about the details, but instead it's like, drive me to this cave so I can see if maybe I can hide a body in it. Just. <laughs> and Blue's just like, I love that moment for Blue
0: too, because she thinks about how she's kind of upset that Adam and Ronan didn't trust her with the details of this, but she wanted to help anyway. Yeah, that's, that's a good just, moment of growth so for, her. for her.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. because she's she's still being like stubborn and hates to be left out of things, but she's just like, fine, I'm, I'm accepting that I can't know everything yeah. at all times. Just, and Exactly. And I mean, and
0: re-Adam and Ronan, I want to go back a little bit to the scene at Aglinby where Adam narrowly oh, yeah. escapes the, the scaffolding falling on him and it's because he has that thought and, and he asks Caveswater caves water to protect him. And so it ends up where the scaffolding everything falls just around him leaving like this creepily perfect like circle of nothing around him and in that moment Ronan like uh, Gansey looks at Ronan and he sees like like kind of like a like a fire in his eyes and doesn't really know how to interpret it but what it, he realizes later that what it was was pride and yeah. Ronan is staying, standing there staring at Adam and how he had protected used caves water to protect himself and he's thinking like hot <laughs> like I he's just like
2: yes bitch like I, I just love it I was reading when I was re- working on the summary earlier I was like looking at some website that had a very detailed rundown of this book and the summary of that moment was like Ronan looks at it and thinks hot Henry looks at it and thinks can I be in book four <laughs> that was actually by Maggie <laughs> Oh, was
0: it? Yeah, Maggie wrote all of those um, recaps. Oh, I, I don't even know yeah. where I found she, it, but
2: I was just like, oh, it I made me laugh aloud. She wrote
0: a recap for all the books except for The Raven King because at that time that was going to be you know, the uh, end of it, which technically it is, is the end of it because called On the Hawk and The Dreamer Trilogy is a whole other thing. Different. But yeah, she wrote a recap for every one of the books and they're hilarious. Oh,
2: yeah. So okay, And they're well, good to
0: look at because then you see the points that Maggie finds the most important to bring up.
2: Oh, all right. Cool. Well, that made me laugh because I was like, yeah. that's true, because then we do get Henry in the next book. We get little snippets of him here. But yeah, I love that scene so much, too, because then uh, when Gansey comes out, he's like, what the heck? And Adam's just like, I just I asked and it didn't. He's like, you marvelous creature.
1: <laughs> he is Gansey a marvelous being creature.
0: impressed by his friends is never going to not be the sweetest thing.
2: There's a moment earlier, too, in that same scene where they come to Foxway after Persephone dies, and that's when Ronan sits next to Adam on the porch. But Gansey thinks at that point, too, he, like, looks at them, and he thinks both so much more difficult and so much better than when he'd first met them. Was that what life did to them all, chisel them into harder, truer versions of themselves? So, like, I like that he he realizes that they're changing it's a continuation of that growth we've talked about in previous episodes but he's still just so immensely impressed by them and he still just loves them and i love that so much too, because it's it's such an acknowledgement of what he
0: has been struggling with for the previous books is that his friends are changing or they have changed and he's having a hard time accepting this and he keeps wanting to think of them in in terms of how they used to be or how, what they could be. But now he's finally acknowledging, yes, they're different, but better, better because of it. And he's finally really accepting them for who they're becoming. I wanted to talk about the uh, the cave scene at the very end oh, before they yes. dive into the hole. We talked about a little bit. There, that scene is full of so many silent exchanges between the two of them, and Adam leaning into the hole to look down, and Ronan keeping like a firm grip on his arm to make sure he doesn't fall in. Like it's just, it's so subtle. I don't even think I had I had realized that when I when I've read it every other time that Adam uh, Ronan holds Adam to keep him from falling as he like looks into the hole and. Yeah, the way they they exchange that look before they jump in, and the way they kind of silently acknowledge that this is their job. Their job is to protect Ganzi, their king. And it's just,
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I'm spe- I'm rendered speechless by that. It's so good, and I, I think that is a good segue into like all that stuff in the cave. is su- such good like friendship journey stuff. I mean, we, we that scene starts towards the beginning of that scene before they go down Ronan says say it and gansey says say what and he's excelsior the fact that you know they all like poke fun sometimes at gansey for being who he is but <laughs> in that moment that's what they want from him that's they want their leader their king to send him on this journey then also in the cave we get to like, these other great moments of, like, delegation between Gansey, you know, he's looking to Adam to see if they should go forward, and Adam says, like, let's do X, Y, and Z, and Gansey nodded his approval. He didn't understand the plan, but he didn't need to. He trusted Adam's judgment.
0: I love Gansey in this moment because he, and Adam has essentially given given him, like, a, a nothing job, like, oh, you maybe move some rocks around or something, <laughs> and Gansey, despite being put essentially on the back burner here, like, you're useless, he fully accepts it. And he goes, yes, let's do that. Because he knows, he trusts his friends and he knows that they all have these larger purposes and he is just happy to to know them and to watch them do this. I just love that for him. He's a good boy.
2: And then Jesse, I think you, did you have this quote noted too about Gansy Blue's awe about the place?
1: Ronan and Adam may have seen this place as magical, but Gansey and Blue's wonder made it holy. And it just sort of goes to how I view Adam and Ronan as these magicians and soldiers and knights of of Gainsey's king, and Blue, Blue is one too. But you know, they're they're the magicians. It's their work to make sure it's safe for their king. And then Blue and Gansey come in, and yes, there is the technical aspects of how this place works, but to just come in and, and recognize the magic of it makes it just elevates it into something that's not like that's real but not quite grounded in reality and it's lovely. Like
2: that all just this this book does have so many nice moments of this all this friendship and this it all leads and builds and culminates in this really great scene there. Uh, but it, it builds on things like, you know, the scene with Adam and Noah and Blue coming down the mountain after they do some ley line work there together. And they are almost like connected into like one person at that time. And we talked about Gansey thinking about how luckily he was to find them all and Blue thinking about how she had this community of friends and Adam thinking about how he, he, he needs his friends. It all just comes to a head here and I love it. But for me, the best friendship stuff in this book is between Ronan and Blue. Blue and, yeah.
0: So I love this quote. I think it's from Adam and he's thinking it was amazing that she and Ronan didn't get along better because they were different brands of the same impossible stuff, which is something that like you you really notice from the very beginning is how similar Blue and Ronan are, which is also completely understandable why in the beginning, like it's taken them so long to develop this friendship, is because they are so similar and because that what they have in common is their sort of antagonism towards other people. I
2: highlighted that quote and says Adam has a type.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I also really love Blue and Ronan in the cave scene being the only ones that are able to grab and ride the animals out. And I think it really underlines that that sort of connection that they have where um, those two above all the others are connected to the, the nature of Cape's water and that element of it, like the flora and the fauna of it.
1: I don't love... Blue and Ronan's friendship, like you guys do. I mean, I love it, um, but it's not something that I've really noticed until this book. And the line that really did it for me is Ronan holding her as tightly as he would hold his brother Matthew, his cheek on her shoulder, and I that really works for me. Um, I I think that's where I really see it and recognize it. And him, you know, they Adam has lost his family, but Ronan loved his father. Blue loved his her mother, and and having them both be gone and being and seeing them in the lake reflected back, and Ronan being the one to tell Blue, like it's not real, feels just like a huge moment of growth for him and a really lovely moment between the two of them where they recognize mm-hmm. um, the pain of each other, the, each other's pain within each other. And he wipes
0: a tear away when they separate, which I think is just really sweet. And I think it also goes back to that scene. I think in the kitchen at Foxway, when uh, everybody else is bringing up, why, you know, why doesn't Jesse Diddley just move? And he thinks, you know, from his family home. And he and Blue are the only ones that understand it on that, on that level, because family
2: to them is, is the same. It means yeah. everything. Then which one of you noted to about how Ronan calls Blue Blue in that scene? He <laughs> doesn't. He doesn't call her sergeant. He doesn't call her maggot. Like it's, it's sort of like when, um,
0: when Gansey calls her Blue instead of Jane, and you know that that means that there's something serious going on. And it's like that when Ronan he always calls her something else, and he calls her Blue in that scene when he's when he's telling her that it's not real, and he's comforting
2: her, and it's just it mm-hmm. makes me really emotional. Yeah. Well, and then the giving of the ghost light. The, the ghost light. I. I can't, I need to find the quote here. The quote is just beautiful. Ducking his head, he pulled off his ghost light and hung it over her shoulder. She didn't bother to say, but you'll be waiting in darkness. Nor did she say, if I vanish immediately into the lake, you'll have to find your way out of your sightless. Because he'd already known both of those things and he'd given it to her. Instead, she said, you know, you're not such a shithead. No, Ronan replied, really, I am. But then he waits. You know, he waits on the other side of that lake for her and she finally calls back over to him and, great
0: tells him to go on but yeah he was willing to stay there and wait for her i love that little like silent salute that he gives her when she's walking across the lake (laughs) yeah
2: god he's a good boy she's a good girl
0: i love him (laughs) him so much god damn it do you think that it can't it can't go without saying uh parishes honda yoda alone time a shitboxing boxing along (laughs) is
2: (laughs) just good stuff It's such a good... Well, And like Noah in that... Noah's like, yeah, like keep it on. Okay, I have a lot of thoughts about that though because, okay, this is clearly in the 2000s. Like, you know, we've talked about this for the Scorpio Races. That book is very much of like, what time is it when that book takes place? It's very intentionally not clear. Here we definitely are grounded by some things. You know, Ronan says... So glad you guys thought about Instagram first versus like calling for first aid when the, the bricks fall around Adam. So we know that we're in like a modern era. So I have, have a lot of questions about what Ronan had to do to make a mixtape in the middle of the 2010s, presumably is where we're. Runs it, right? I was going to say. You oh, yeah. Just it. <laughs> <laughs> OK, guys, I like my more romantic version, Potter, that Ronan. <laughs> 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 i really did not even think about that <laughs> he dre- he did, instead of
1: dreaming adam like an ipod like he dreamt of like a mixtape so it is like romantic i think
2: okay it yeah. is but i still like my version that he went out and got a stereo
0: i mean require- i think the next most likely uh, i mean he- <laughs> I he found he an old radio yeah. at, at the barns and some blank tapes. Uh,
2: yeah. Okay. Fine.
0: <laughs> but really, yeah, he dreamt it for oh, sure. Sh-
2: yeah, that makes more sense. But that's a um. We don't really get a lot of Noah in this book. But I like that. Or in this back half of the book, we get a lot in the beginning, and then it's just kind of he's not really around a lot in the back half. But that scene where they go uh, up to the state park or whatever and they work on the ley line, it, we have that funny moment after the fight that Blue has with that other guy. And then I I'm scared he can't. Noah is like my favorite. Noah. I think I just relate to it a lot. And he's just like, you all say I is a worry war, but then what if I'm right? And, then, and he's like, I was right. He's <laughs> like, no one believes the dead guy. <laughs> yeah. But then Adam thinks in that moment too, where Noah goes on and Noah's like, I'll go ahead. I'll see if it's okay. And then he calls back in and Adam thinks that he was so glad to have them there with him. It's just all these beautiful soft moments of friendship in in this book. Should we talk briefly about the green mantles and some of their stuff here because <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. I love the scene
0: where where Colin is remembering how they got engaged and like he makes a joke about sacrificing a puppy if they had one and then she's like, "Oh, will you marry me?" and he says something like I, I love myself most, so if you're okay coming in, always coming in second. And she goes, "Same Z's." <laughs> I just love
2: them. They're
1: so funny and evil, but funny. Well, yeah. yeah, it's like I we talked
2: so much last week, and then as I was reading along this week, I'm like, I love them. They're so funny, and I forgot that it was actually Piper that shoots Jesse Diddley. and I'm like, fuck, like she's evil. Like this is yeah. bad. But everything up to that point is is just so so funny and so humorous and i and even after she shoots him which is just like this horrible
0: act and and it's devastating because jesse ditley is so great and she and and colin's like piper you shot that man and she's like no one else is doing anything all this dick
2: swinging like (laughs) she's not wrong i know Uh, exactly but still right yeah so that's just awful of her put everything up to that point. I have some favorite quotes I'll save them from from them that are are really great. But um and then Jesse Ditley again, he's he's wonderful in this back half of the book. I think he does end up providing a sense of realization for Blue that like she has to deal more with her fears than she has been. And she talks about being afraid and that's why she's brave now. And I think she doesn't know that he's dead at that point, but he she knows that it was not an easy just remove one plane from the cave and everything will be okay for Jessie Ditley And I think that that's where she's coming to realization with her own curse. Um but I really love the scene where she goes there with Mr. Gray and he's like Jesse's like I got Girl Scout cookies and she's like, no I'm good. And Mr. Gray's like take thin mints if you have <laughs> I love it too when they get there and he's and Jesse's like you smell like tuna
0: fish. It was like should we have they brought just you had some tuna sandwiches.
2: Yeah should we have brought you some I only eat
1: spaghettios
2: <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines.
1: I was wondering if you all invited me on the podcast today because my name is Jesse, and I also did not eat my greens growing up. We're so. <laughs> very, very small.
2: Lots well, of good, like blue short jokes here. Like even at the end, piper's in the game. Like go be short somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> blue <laughs> oh
1: man yes but that was why mm-hmm. yes jesse was. Yes. why <laughs> you're here today yes there is like a weirdly funny but also like haunting line that green mental thinks when when piper shoots jesse that i it was really just disturbing to me um it says it occurred to green mental how pointless a virtue mercy was if jesse didley had just shot green mental earlier green mental would not be holding a shotgun now and it's just mm, it's i don't know i just like i couldn't stop thinking about that because it's true. Yeah. Yeah. But also mercy is something that is valued and gains being the key. I don't know. It's just started to bring it down, but I just, I don't no, know. no, it, yeah, it does. I
2: mean, it's again, how these villains are humorous, but they do provide such a important part to the story and teaching these lessons that they need. And we, as the reader need to like really grasp what's coming in the story and, a lot and then i guess if we say goodbye to mallory he heads back to the uk and he's like i'm ready for a little less excitement now yeah he's like i'm ready to get back to my sleepy quiet ley line mm-hmm. and you know he's a trooper though he's just like driving around the suburban the whole time like it, but i'll forever love him just for that scene with him in blue where he's talking about Gansy and his stuff about the auras is is so fascinating and I like a lot of his rumination on anxiety and, and how he thinks that that's kind of like an insufficient term. And I, I appreciate him a lot as a character, as someone who has a lot of anxiety. I mine manifests itself a lot when I get like overwhelmed by like a lot of people around me, a lot of talking, a lot of noise around me makes me anxious a lot. And so that's how he feels with people's auras and, uh, so I kind of just related to that. I also just love the imagery of the dog trying to stand on his chest as he's in line at Heathrow, and I'm like, physically, I don't see how this is possible, Mister Mallory. <laughs> the dog is just trying to climb him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so he's he's a a good one, Mister. Is he doctor? I don't know. I don't know if we. Yeah, know. I
0: think he's a. I think he's a doctor.
2: All right, Doctor Mallory. We'll I
0: think him. it's mentioned maybe in book one. Got it. I'm pretty sure. Anyway.
1: I do want to mention something about Henry, just real quick. I just yeah. want to get in there. I find as, as as much as I love these books, and I think they're so well plotted, the Henry edition sort of does baffle me. I just yeah. – we get some, like, interesting things about him, but I really wish he – I wish we'd had, like, a mention of him earlier or some sort of, like, oh, hi, Henry. Like, I don't want to sign your petition. I don't know. I just – for how important he is in the later stuff, it's just fascinating to me how he just shows up here and kind of briefly, I don't know. I just, I want to put that on the record. Yeah. So
0: I can't remember where exactly I heard this. I think it was from maybe something Maggie tweeted or maybe something she wrote up that um, originally there was going to be five books. And towards the end, she uh, they told her, I don't know if it was a publisher thing or what, that it was only going to be four books. And by then she'd already written like the first two. And so she had to sort of, and, and like most of the third one. So Henry was really just kind of like, oh shit, I better throw him in now because he's going to be important in the next book and I haven't introduced him at all.
1: Yeah. The seams really show on on that one, I think. As, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and not because it's bad or feels really tacked on. It's just because she's such a good writer and so good at foreshadowing and so good at plotting. That's why it feels sort of noticeable. Rushed. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what?
2: What is frustrating to me is that I like Henry a lot when we get him. It's great but i almost resent him because i'm so invested in the friendship of these characters yeah. that it's like how dare he come in and be a part of endgame here yeah. like in such an important part of endgame and it's just that is my frustration with it if he had been there all along i'm sure i would feel just the same as i feel about all the rest of these characters here but i'm not given the chance to do that and then i feel like i don't want to say it cheapens the ending cuz that's not true i love the raven king i love how everything works out for all of the characters but i just feel like also, though, he could have, well, we'll, talk, this is, we'll talk about this when we read The Raven King, but I also feel like he didn't have to be there at the very end. Like, he could have gotten them to that point, and I don't know why he's he's there. But I, I will say, you know, one of the things, we were kind of talking about this in our, our book club a little bit about Henry, and I do think that, the like I said, the rape line is really not great of him, but I do think he is not as bad as Blue thinks he is in that scene on the side of the road on the Jesse, I, I laughed at your nose I was like these rich boys cars break down a lot
1: like why is everyone's like cars always like the BMW Ronan's BMW the, ever, all these cars keep breaking down these are like super rich like, where's his cell phone
2: yeah <laughs> I don't know I have a lot of questions about it no. but it's fine
1: so I, I
2: do think like I said I, I like him but I'll, I'll, we'll obviously be paying a lot of attention to this as we read through The Raven King yeah alright superlatives Favorite mm-hmm. lit quote. Jesse, as our guest, you can go first.
1: Oh gosh. So because I filled out this note sheet before uh, or after um, Teja did, she took a lot of my really big favorites. Um, I think, uh, so I have just two down here because I didn't want to write down the entire car scene after Teja did. Um, but I said, uh, it's possible there were two gods in this church, which we which we talked about, which is such a good line. And then we're not going to die down here, Piper said. I have book club on Tuesday. <laughs> like, okay, like that's pretty good reasoning to me. Like... I love that line for some reason. It's relatable and evil and funny and ironic. I don't know. It's just so funny.
0: It's very Piper. I love it. Tasia, you want to read? I'll,
1: I'll just yeah. go ahead and <laughs> read the we elephant saved it. in the room. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. I just want to pretend. I want to pretend that I could. He breathed out. What was a kiss without a kiss? It was a tablecloth tugged from beneath the party service. Everything jumbled against everything else in just a few chaotic moments. Fingers and hair, hands cupping necks, mouths dra- dragged on cheeks and chins in dangerous proximity. It's
2: hot. That's what it yeah. is? <laughs> spicy, <laughs> spicy. Who? I mean, yeah. I mean, like she's just so good at writing that tension, the inability to kiss you. Feel it in that moment. You know exactly what that feels like. Yeah. But, and it's it's incredible stuff. There. I love it. You have another one there too. Do you want to read it? Yeah, sure. This
0: is and,
2: my name is out of all women,"
0: the woman replied. Sorrow. It's Ugh. very dramatic, but also I'm just like yes, yes. <laughs> I, I love also
2: it. I didn't write this down, but I'm gonna put it in here too. I I also love her her classic quote of like I'm all for uh, ranks ranks of usurping, usurping, usurping women. women. Yeah, yeah. That's you like,
0: begin to sound like your are little Lily. Gwendlynn said, and I'm not sure that's your place. Which is to say, carry on.
2: I'm all for ranks of usurping women. So good. Let's see here. Oh, and we. Yeah, we said already, I only eat spaghetti. <laughs> great Jesse Gently moment. Mine, this is just a phrase. I'm just extrapolating out of context here because I think about it all the time. The first time I read these books, I was like, oh, shit, this is a build off of Manibus for your hands last week, which is just the phrase Adam Parrish's formally chapped hands comes up. When they are doing ley line work in the state park or whatever, and Adam has been cut by Blue to bring him back from scrying, and he leaves blood on a rock, he's like, "I love this because I'm I'm here. It's like proof that I was here." And then it's just like in as they're describing his hands, Adam perishes, par- formerly chapped hands, and it's just. A great way of subtly acknowledging that he received that gift from Ronan, that he's used that gift from Ronan, and that it is having an effect on him. That's literally the only time in the second half that that ointment is brought up again. And that phrase is like embedded on my soul of like, oh, shit, like this is going to be a ship for the ages for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I also have two. The there are two gods in this church is an as we talked about. We talked about this moment briefly, too. What do we do now? Gansy asked from the other room, Calabell. Go buy us pizza with extra cheese, Richie Rich. Blue said, I think she's starting to like you. (laughs) love that. And then this is a callback to the first part of the book where Mr. Gray comes and holds the Green Mantles hostage. Colin comes home, says, Piper, if you're being held up by Mr. Gray, bark once.
0: (laughs) That is just one of the funniest fucking lines in this whole book every time I read it. I'm just dying.
1: It's so good. Okay, favorite character and favorite character arc, Jesse. This is mostly having to do with this book, but then I'm extrapolating a little bit because this is my only Raven Cycle opportunity to, to talk. Yeah. So my favorite character, I think, from my first read is was Gainesy, and I I think it still is. You know, this is, and I think my reread when I reread Raven King, I'll, I'll reinforce that. This is his story. I could okay, go with me here. I have like a thing for characters. I call it like my Kermit thing. It's like nice, like the leader characters that are like really sweet and nice. Mm-hmm. Um, they have like a backbone, but they have like a lot of friends and they have a love interest. I don't know. It's just yeah. that, that type of character. I I use Kermit as my example, but it's just who I love and um, I love thinking of Gansi as Kermit. That's great. I love it. But I and I think a lot of us share the belief that just Adam's arc here is spectacular. His arcs in the book and his mini in his his arc here. I basically have the entire court scene written out that that we discussed the the growth that Adam shows in the beginning of the book showing up at, at where he needs to fix the ley line and then turning away because he can't afford it to being there again with blue and Noah and accepting that $5 to realizing in that moment at the court scene that he needs his friends there, that he wants them there, that they do know him. It's, it's fabulous. It's, it's uh, these books are Gaines' books, but they're also Adam's books. He's the one that gets like the last line in these chapters other than the epilogue. I it's masterful and I'm just so so happy that I'm reading them again um with you guys uh and getting to be a part of this because I don't think I appreciated it as much the first time I read these books and it makes them just so much more I I loved them before I did um I wrote bluesy fan fiction which I'm finally gonna get the guts to publish I think um and it's real good (laughs) good. (laughs) (laughs) thank you Uh, but this 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 here is special uh this is really special, um, Adam's arc in particular here, and I love it so much.
2: Jesse, you're going to make me cry. I know. I'm going to cry, too. <laughs> I just, damn. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I mean.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you need to add to that, really? Yeah. you. Yeah. you said I, it.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I can't believe, and this happened to you in The Dream Thieves, That is Ronan's book and his arc in it is is so great. This is Blue's book and her arc in it is great. Again, I've struggled to connect with Blue every time I've read these books. I do feel like I get a better sense of her in this read. I feel like kind of how I felt with Adam a couple weeks ago when I talked about, I feel like I'm kind of unlocking her in a lot of ways. So, So I feel bad in a book that's called Blue, Lily, Lily, Blue that Adam is my favorite character and character arc jesse and i were actually just having this conversation relating to other young adult books and how there's a kind of a trend lately if it's like a duology or something you don't get a full arc of a character in a book it's just like wait till book two and then you'll see where this goes here what's so good about this is every single book ends in a finite way for each character that it's continuing to to build towards a larger overarching theme but you get very complete arcs within those books and every week every week we're here and we're talking about arc and it just keeps coming back to adam to me about how every book is really just cementing into place a a mini version of his overall arc and it's just it's really great stuff i will say though and I'm going to pick a slightly different favorite character though. I'm going to say that my favorite character in this back half, like if I'm going to pick someone outside the main crew is Mr. Gray. I think he's got great moments here in this back half. He's a badass in the cave at the end. At the end, he just like brushes. Brush. I was literally just going to say, eyebrow, that, I guess.
0: and I love it. And and it's described as like in a quiet and love sort of way. And I'm like, ah, it's just Mr. Gray is it. so good.
2: It is so good. Um, anything else on, on character and character arc?
0: No, I think you guys, you guys nailed it.
2: And our last thing here is favorite swoon-worthy moment.
1: If you had asked me two years ago when I read this book, I would have just pointed at the car scene and been like, "Oh my god, that car scene! It's a-. and it is, it's this a swoon-worthy moment." However, new Jesse rereading the book, Jesse, I got to go with the court scene. It's about the friendship. The story is about the friendship between the boys, and we they they'd run, they ran for him. So
2: (laughs) yeah. So we talked about this too, like off pod, like how they knew about it, thinking about that and how they knew to come to the courthouse is just another level of friendship. I think Tasia, you noted what a friend of the pod Melissa came up with what we think is the most likely
0: the most likely explanation for it, which is that because Adam had decided to take the entire day off of school. So when he wasn't there for the first couple of periods, Gansy and Ronan got Worried, and probably went to his apartment. Probably found the the court notice there, and then just rushed, ran it's, through the courthouse to get to so to good. him on time. Because I think I think it's important to note that they their need to be there for him was just as great as Adam's need for for them oh, to be there.
2: Oh my god! <laughs> I'm I'm going to read this part now because I've read every other part of this chapter except this. So let's just put the whole thing out here. But this is. So good. So he thinks that there's these other witnesses coming. He thinks it's going to be like neighbors coming to give testimony against him. The door cracked open. Adam didn't want to look, but he did anyway. In the hall stood Richard Campbell Gansey III in his school uniform, an overcoat and scarf and gloves, looking like someone from another world. Behind him was Ronan Lynch. His damn tie knotted right for once and his shirt tucked in. Humiliation and joy warred furiously inside Adam. Gansey strode between the pews as Adam's father stared at him. He went directly to the bench, straight up to the judge. Now that he stood directly beside Adam, not looking at him, Adam could see that he was a little out of breath. Ronan behind him was as well. They had run for him. We'll have to see at the end. Maybe this will be like an additional bonus category of uh, superlatives at the end of like favorite scenes and favorite things like that in the series. But this I think is, as I said before, like one of my favorite moments in the entire series. It's just incredible. I <laughs> And it's
0: never any try. less affecting for how many times I've read it. I've read it. These books probably
2: eight or nine times all the way through and every time it's it gets me it's and it's like little things every time that like i pick up i for me right now like my biggest thing that i'm like struck on is that adam refers him as richard campbell gansey the third this version of Gansey that he's resented in a lot of ways, that's the version of Gansey that's come here and is going to help him in this moment. And he is totally accepting of it and like loves him all the more for it. I can't. I can't. And I love
0: that Gansey is nervous. Like, like, is oh. this okay? That look, he gives because he knows that he, Adam could see this as overstepping, but yeah. he doesn't. And it's good. The handshake. Ah.
1: He nailed it. Yeah. Calling him Richard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the one that shows up for him. And he learns to love all all the sides of Gansy. Oh, oh my
2: God. <laughs> we could have, we could have podcasted about this whole single chapter. We could have t- talked line by line for multiple hours. So I'm proud of us for reining it into the ability that we did because whew, it's just, it's good. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, the kissing, it's great. It's it's hot. As we said, it's, I like that a lot too, but platonic swoon is ultimately, I think a lot of ways. Way more valuable across the board in this series to me. Um, I say that with like my OTP coming from this series, like, but still, it's the Mm -hmm. friendship stuff really that makes me swoon. Well, guys, we finished another book. I'm getting sad. We've like moved through so much here. I can't believe we're at the end of of the Raven King. I feel like Gansey being like totally shell shocked about like being towards the end of it. I don't want it to come, and yet I want it to come, and it's warring within me, and I don't know what to do. You don't know what to do, but before we go, then I guess we'll announce, um, next week where we're going with the Raven King again, we're going to split it into two. And I think we are going to be doing chapters one through 32, uh, of that book. Uh, and we will be joined again by another special guest. So we're looking forward to that before we go, Jesse, remind our listeners, uh, where else they can find you on your, your podcast, which is, uh, since the last time you've been here, uh, started a new book. So yes. tell us about that.
1: Uh so I am uh um, I, th- I mentioned before that me and my friend Annie, uh friend of the pod Annie are uh co-host of a podcast called The Daily Nightly, where we've been reading um, Jane Austen books and discussing them. And since we last discuss, uh, since we last spoke, we finished Pride and Prejudice and started on Mansfield Park, which is a book that I hadn't read previously. And it's sort of blowing my mind in terms of Austen because it's a lot different than her other books. And it's fascinating to read along to. So check us out, uh, The Daily Nightly, at your local podcast catcher. <laughs> and I just wanna say uh, thank you so much for letting me come on uh, the pod with you guys. Um, I mean, always, I love coming on and I love talking about books with you guys on and off pod, but this in particular is such a special series. It's sort of the series that brought us all together. And it's it's been just so rewarding to start my year off reading these books with you, so thank you.
2: Um, I'm just like in a Grin's Having a
1: breakdown right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. I just...
2: <laughs> it's like okay, like the Raven Cycle is our Glendower. Like it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Me. Uh, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and my brain is broken. Just anytime we talk about this series, but it's true. I mean, like I feel like not a week goes by where we all don't talk about these books. Like yeah, so- I was gonna
0: say it's been like a couple of years and. Literally, maybe like once a week, we will have a collective breakdown about this series. So it's nice to to do that for the podcast now. Yeah. Continue our collective, our weekly breakdowns.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, now that <laughs> just very mm-hmm. hard right turn here into wrapping things up. But Tasia, uh where can our listeners find you on the internet?
0: You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ragey Cakes.
2: You can find me on Instagram at Rin underscore Reads. You can find the pod on Twitter and Instagram at Act Age. You can shoot us an email about anything you'd like to discuss with us at actyaagepod at gmail.com. And then if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. Be very helpful to us. Other than that, friends, we will see you next week for the beginning of the end, at least of the main series itself, uh, as we start with part one of The Raven King. Oh my God, I'm so sad about it, but I'm so excited. So I know, I feel like this has already gone by so fast. I know. And yet
0: we're like weeks and weeks in.
2: I know. I know. It's sad. But anyway, can't wait to talk about it with you guys next week. Until then, have a good one. Bye.
1: Bye.